welcome to our latest podcast in the Talking Sustainability series. I'm Maddie Gowlett, a tax partner at Travis Smith, and in this podcast we're going to look at ethical taxation and the role of business. It's an area that's changed a lot over the last 10 years, and whilst we definitely don't have all the answers, we'll hopefully throw out some interesting discussion points. On which note, I'm joined by my colleague Rob Smith, who's going to try and help me get to the bottom of some of the trickier issues here. Hi Maddie. Yeah, looking forward to the discussion. Should we start with what do we mean when we say ethical tax? Sure. Although I'm gonna I'm gonna immediately take aim at the terminology here a bit, I think, because ethical is a bit emotive, and I wonder if we should be calling it responsible taxation instead. Because depending on the circumstances, ethical brings in so many different factors. But let's let's go with go with ethical, but not not judge anybody. So I think it's worth looking at the history here because the landscape has changed quite a lot in recent years. And going back to 1936, you have the inaugural case of the Duke of Westminster, where I'll, I'll just read out the a famous quote from this. Every man is entitled, if he can, to order his affairs so that the tax attaching under the appropriate acts is less than it otherwise would be. If he succeeds in ordering them so as to secure this result, then, however unappreciative the commissioners of the Inland Revenue or his fellow taxpayers may be of his ingenuity, he cannot be compelled to pay an increased tax. And amazingly, that position stood for many, many years, and it wasn't really until the general anti-abuse rule, the GAR, as we call it, that it was categorically rejected. And the GAR guidance mentioned these number of old cases and said that that absolutely wasn't the case anymore. So it said the GAR rejects the approach taken by the courts in a number of old cases to the effect that taxpayers are free to use their ingenuity to reduce their tax bills by any lawful means, however contrived those means might be, and however far the tax consequences might differ from the real economic position. So we've come, we've come a long way albeit over quite a long period of time. And I think we're now definitely at the case where you can't just be a clever taxpayer and jump through loopholes, as people like to call them, and um, pay no tax at all. And so for an, an increasing number of businesses, I think tax now isn't just something that goes to their bottom line that they try to reduce, come what may. And they're thinking about how to be a responsible taxpayer or a good tax citizen. So I suppose then that that leads you on to, to what does that mean in practice and how does a business know where to start when when thinking about this topic? I think I find it helpful to think about this on a on a sliding scale. So on the on the far left of the scale, you've got tax evasion and then moving slightly further to the right, aggressive forms of tax avoidance, which is not a place that we assume that if you've made it this far through the podcast, you want to be. Then as we move through the spectrum, we go through uh, what might be considered less aggressive, but still sort of sophisticated tax planning into accepted industry practice that, that may generate tax savings, but is, is generally considered across a particular market or, or with HMRC to be acceptable. And then finally into plain vanilla, non-aggressive transactions and behaviour. Then there's perhaps one further step we might want to take on this spectrum which is say, actually, we're going to go even further than that. Rather than just being plain vanilla, 
we want to set standards in the market in terms of tax ethics or um, if you prefer being a responsible taxpayer. That's really interesting and and I think there's been a noticeable shift from left to right along that scale, i.e. towards the more responsible taxpayer end of the scale. And I don't think it's it's just because of the, the black letter law, the introduction of the GAR and and the death of the Duke of Westminster. So should we have a look at the factors that that drive good good tax behaviour, Rob? Yeah, and I mean I guess every every taxpayer is going to have their own bracket on that spectrum, which they consider to be acceptable. And part of what we're trying to tease out in this discussion is where any particular taxpayer sits. And for everyone, they'll have external and internal factors that drive what you might call good tax behaviour. So if we think about it like a ladder, at the bottom rung of that ladder, you have things tend to be legislative or statutory that are mainly targeted at stopping taxpayers do what are considered bad things. So you've already mentioned the GAR, Maddie. And alongside that, we have various tax disclosure regimes, for example, DOTAS, Disclosure of Tax Avoidance Schemes, uh, encourage it or, or mandates taxpayers to disclose tax planning that has certain characteristics. We then have alongside that the corporate criminal offence, a failure to prevent the facilitation of tax ev evasion, which again is driving taxpayers to implement their own policies around how their employees and other associates behave. And most recently, we've had the notification of uncertain tax treatment regime. Alongside that, we have international developments too. So in recent years, the EU blacklist has caused a lot of changing behaviour, particularly for, for taxpayers who, who might have group companies or fund entities, etc. in jurisdictions which have at some time been on the EU blacklist or close to it. And now we're seeing the EU's focus turn to member states with ATAD3 and, and increasing levels of substance requirements there. So all that amounts to a large varied framework of regime, uh, of statutory regimes, but they're all have the common characteristic of, of penalising bad behaviour. And I think also they're, they're pushing, arguably they're pushing some of the taxman's work onto businesses, aren't they? Because they're forcing businesses to, for example, educate their employees and associates around tax evasion, and what that looks like they're they're putting a bit of the policing onto onto companies themselves which i suppose means that businesses are already having to think about this quite a lot just in that context yeah i think that's right i mean you hear it said sometimes that everyone's a policeman now in terms of, of tax compliance and all those regimes that i just mentioned are pushing pushing businesses in that direction and, and so so the next thing next rung up the ladder if you like are external stakeholders. So th I'm thinking here about firstly investors and contractual counterparties uh, who might be taking their own defensive steps in relation to tax. So the most obvious thing here is I mentioned the corporate criminal offence as part of their own procedures. You might say, see um, counterparties putting terms into contracts, putting certain parameters around what, you, what, what a business can and can't do in relation to tax. But then increasingly, you know, we're seeing a lot of investors and, and counterparties actually taking steps to actively discourage what they consider to be aggressive tax practices. So that might be an investor requesting certain terms when it's investing into an investment fund, side letter provisions, for example, which put limits on, on, on what they consider to be acceptable tax planning for the investment fund when it's making investments. So then we take one further step 
and as well as uh, direct stakeholders, you have the wider corporate environment. We're obviously talking in a podcast series called Talking Sustainably. It's a it's a big and ever increasing topic, what was traditionally called ESG. And whilst tax is only part of that picture, that wider corporate environment is pushing people towards good ethical in inverted commas tax behaviour. Yeah, and I and I think that tax is going to become more prominent in this area. There's obviously been a huge focus, I would say, particularly on diversity and inclusion and on the environment in recent years, which I absolutely agree with. But I don't know how front and centre tax always is on an ESG professional's radar, but I think it is going to be something that that grows in prominence there. Yeah, and without wanting to spoil any surprises for the next five minutes of this podcast, you know, that part of the reason for that might be that it's it's not it's not easy to know where to position yourself in relation to tax and how to square the circle that we talked about at the beginning. So that that's one of the challenges. But I agree with you, Maddie, it's tax is, is going to become harder to and har- harder and harder to ignore as part of wider ESG agendas. So then the final rung on the on on the ladder is the general public. I think we've seen since the financial crisis that public opinions swung firmly against tax evasion and and tax planning and things which may have been seen as acceptable in the past are increasingly unacceptable. And so for a lot of businesses, they need to think about how their tax affairs will be interpreted, not only by people they deal with on a day-to-day basis, but the general public in the event that their tax affairs were to be publicised more widely than they hoped. Yeah, so then I suppose we've got our spectrum and we've got our ladder, so spectrum of, of where you want to be positioned as a taxpayer and, and the ladder of to all the all the things that drive tax behaviour. And how do we apply that to the business landscape? And I think an overarching concept that it's worth businesses considering is whether to implement a, a tax policy. And there are already things which businesses are likely to have in place. For example, Rob, you mentioned the corporate criminal offence. And the only de- the only defence a company has in the situation where one of its affiliates facilitates tax evasion is that it had reasonable procedures in place. And that probably looks, depending on the type of business you're operating in, that probably looks like some policies and procedures around educating the workforce as to what is tax evasion, being careful in the areas, for example, the financial areas where you're transferring money, that proper procedures are being followed there. So there should be a base level in companies at the moment. There's also for large businesses the requirement to publish a tax strategy and to have that published on their website or somewhere where it can be accessed. Arguably for some I think you see a real variety of tax strategies out there. Arguably, some are a little bit more tick boxy and some are quite involved and the company is clearly positioning itself more to the right of that spectrum for those ones. So what might a voluntary tax policy look like? Something that you you decide to put in place thinking about all of the considerations that Rob and I have just been touching on. Well, I, I suppose the first thing to say is that it doesn't have to be public. It could be a private, just within the company, as to what that looks like, or the organisation, the asset manager, pension fund, whatever it is. And that could just set out 
the organisation's approach to tax planning and the parameters in which it operates. So, Rob, I don't know if, if it's worth having a look at an example here to give people a feel for, for what that might look like. Yeah, I think it would be, wouldn't it? And um, the example which best illustrates what you can achieve in this area is the British Business Bank, who, of course, are wholly owned by the UK government, ultimately. So their stakeholders are different to, to, to most businesses, but they have a publicly available tax policy. You can find it online, uh, which sets out really clearly and in some cases quite ambitiously the parameters in which they will operate and which they will require their counterparties to operate. And as the, the British Business Bank is a big investor across the uh, across the UK economy, the effects of this spread quite widely. So just to, to read a couple of quotations from the policy itself, uh, they say, if HMRC indicates that it regards any proposed arrangements as outside the range of acceptable tax structuring, BBB will not enter into such arrangements. They also say that they will only enter into transactions and investments that produce tax results which are consistent with the underlying economics of the relevant arrangements and they will avoid engaging in any tax structuring that does not support a genuine commercial purpose or whose sole or principal purpose is to save tax. So at the moment, I think they're, they're, um, the British Business Bank are a little bit of an outlier and you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find other publicly available tax policies that are quite as ambitious but it could be an indication of the direction in, in which we're heading. That's really interesting. I can also see, and I guess with my lawyer's hat on, how some of those terms are quite difficult because it, it's quite wide. And what exactly does it mean for the underlying economics and to support a genuine commercial purpose? It's all the lots of lots of issues which we grapple with day to day and knowing what that means in this context. But let's say, OK, so let's say that we've got an organisation that wants to design a voluntary tax policy. I suppose in my mind, this is probably a bit of a three step process as to how you'd go about doing this. The first step is to determine where on the spectrum that Rob outlined earlier in the talk you want to sit as an organisation. And presumably you don't want to be right over on the left hand side with the tax evaders or the highly aggressive tax avoiders, but you also might not want to be right on the right hand side of that spectrum of proactively trying to change behaviours in the market. So I think once you've decided where you want to sit on that spectrum, the second thing to do is to undertake a, a risk assessment. What is the organisation doing that create, could create a risk of being involved in behaviours that are further to the left of where you want to sit, whether that's unacceptable tax planning or particular tax avoidance? And also, what is the organisation already doing that might help it to be where it wants to be on that spectrum or more towards the right of where it currently is? And once you've undertaken that risk assessment, then the third part, I think, is the practical element of trying to embed policies and procedures into your organisation that deliver the outcome you want. So embed within key business decisions, the tax considerations that leave you to be in the right place on the spectrum, and also establish a process for determining borderline questions. So if you're 
outsourcing an element and relying on, for example, an investment manager in, in a funds context, what might you want to do to make sure that their behaviour is in line with where you want to be? So I think there's a there's a lot that can be done practically, and it is just a case of of thinking about where these risks sit in the procedures and the business decisions within your organisation and building in safeguards. And I think the the interesting thing, Maddie, is that it's pretty obvious running through that that that's going to look very different, isn't it, for different types of businesses? Absolutely. Um, there's no one size fits all solution here, and that feels like the risk assessment is really the key part of that. Once you've worked out where you want to be, you need to have a look at the business in a kind of holistic way and, and say, you know, how, how can we achieve that and where are the risk areas? Definitely. So what are the key challenges? I mean, you've already said, Robert, it's going to look very different for different businesses. But I suppose thinking about the key challenges comes back to that question that you asked at the outset which is the interaction between a tax policy and the obligation to maximise returns for shareholders or investments and striking that balance between legitimate tax savings, you know, claiming reliefs, things like that, and unacceptable or what your organisation deems as unacceptable tax planning. So if you take a pension fund as an example, to what extent is it acceptable to minimise your tax leakage in the investment structures, trying to maximise returns for beneficiaries, noting that pension schemes generally benefit from favourable tax treatment as well? So I don't know, Rob, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the, the, the spectrum, uh, I used the phrase accepted industry practice. And so I think that's quite an interesting place to start with these kind of um, difficult grey areas because one person's acceptable industry practice might be unacceptable to another person. So if you take a couple of really basic examples, which which tax practitioners will encounter very frequently, it's common in certain investment structures to list loan notes on a, a recognised stock exchange, typically outside the UK, in order to benefit from an exemption from withholding tax. So that is undoubtedly tax-driven structuring, but it's also commonplace and something that HMRC are aware of and, 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 and tolerate. So is that acceptable or not? Well, most people in the industry at the moment say that it is, but if, if you want to be a proactive industry leader, you know, you're going to need to decide what your view is on something like that. Another example might be a, a, an SPV company that owns a property and the seller might want to sell the company rather than underlying property in order to ensure there's a lower rate of stamp duty applied. Again, commonplace, accepted industry practice, but the kind of things that businesses need to need to consider. And there won't be a one size fits all answer there. And uh, different and people have different views. That's also a really interesting example because there's 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 different scenarios aren't there there's the situation where the property is just in a company already that is the natural sale might take place at the share level versus another situation where there's a pre-sale reorganization to try and make sure that you do various steps to get to that position and different things have different feels i suppose which is part of the reason tax is difficult and interesting in my opinion but yeah, it's it's not always straightforward to draw lines in the sand with these sorts of things. Yeah, and that's why I think when we talk about embedding 
the, the the policy and procedures into business processes this that's kind of what we mean because you can't have a a solution to every future problem but what you can try and achieve is a framework that the key decision makers can apply when determining whether something is okay or not yeah so moving on a bit what might our possible lines in the sand if you like look like or our frameworks what what could we do there i suppose borrowing a bit from the british business bank you could say is the tax planning consistent with the policy intention of the relevant tax rules that might work in some contexts but need the people taking the decision to understand the intention of the relevant tax rules that's not always 100 percent clear either but i suppose just having these markers in the sand at least for escalation for consideration could be helpful because then then the board or the deciding body within an organization might know when to stop and think harder about certain decisions it's taking rob what what other ideas have we got to help people here well i mean the other thing that some businesses might be able to consider is differentiating their products so particularly thinking here about people uh, about funds who are seeking investors we've already we already see in the market sustainable impact investing and the option for investors to choose perhaps the risk of a lower return in exchange for the comfort that there are certain things that their asset manager w won't do and certain standards it will adhere to it's not commonplace in the market at the moment to see that in relation to tax but, but drawing those kind of boundaries in relation to a business's approach to tax might be one way of, of approaching some of these difficult questions and giving uh, investors and stakeholders a choice. That's really interesting. And I, I, I think I am aware of some funds that are more ethical funds, which won't invest in certain stocks, for example, because those companies are perceived as being tax avoiders. So I think it is already there, but it'd be, it will be interesting to see whether that grows. So any any final thoughts, Rob? Have we managed to to square the circle, do you think? Well, I'm not sure if we have, and I like providing oh, no. answers to people's questions. We'll have, we'll have to do another podcast that. in that case. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is a really difficult area. And I think one of the really interesting things about this and, and what makes it an exciting area to, to chat about and for businesses to consider is that we don't have clear answers yet and people are finding their own way. So um, we're at the start, it feels to me, of a, of, a, of a journey. And I think the landscape, it already looks different. Well, it certainly looks different. It did in 1936 when the Duke of Westminster case was decided, as you mentioned at the beginning, Maddie. But it also looks different to how it did 10 years ago. And I'm sure in 10 years time, it'll, it will look very different again. So there's lots to discuss. And I think we, we can see the area, direction of travel. If there's one one piece of advice, it's it's for businesses to ensure that considerations about responsible tax and tax policies are at the forefront of their mind and that they try and stay ahead of the curve because this will inevitably become a more and more prominent issue. Thanks, Rob. That's really interesting. And let's do this discussion again in 10 years time and see where we are. I'll see you there.